This week on the Straight Talk and Metalhead podcast, we're talking bipolar disorder with author Kit O'Malley, and it's Ashling's birthday. Um, I had a client who was a six foot tall, sixteen year old uh, boy, and he threatened to rape me during session. And we're talking about a rapid change of medications within just a few months. So after that, I um, started. I, I had a, f- a week of full-blown mania in which I was psychotic. And I thought that my son would be unsafe in my care now that my diagnosis changed from depression to bipolar, even though I was exactly the same person. I had somebody I knew who was half Irish, half German, who said, well, you have to have the Irish self-deprecating sense of humor to be the master race. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, it's Saturday night as we record. We're not in Noma. We're not in Kildare Town. Where are we? What's the name of the place? Lodges. <laughs> I can't remember. We're in something harbour. Harbour <laughs> Lodges. Luxury Harbour Lodges. The key's there. Luxury Lakeside <laughs> um, Lodge. No, that's not the name of it. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know where we are. We can't remember where we are. But we're not at home. If you're looking at us on YouTube, we've got fucking coats on. If you listen very carefully... No, I don't hear it. No, well, maybe you might. Maybe you mm. might. If you've got really good headphones, you might hear the fucking rain pummeling off what is essentially like, what is it? Like a glamping kind of pod. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's, lovely. it's the lovely Ashling Mailer's birthday. Mm. <laughs> and this is the Straight Talk of Metal podcast. Thank you. Yeah, we're all over the place. We're fed and water. This, every fucking thing is like, we're either waiting to eat mm. or we've just had food. We've just had food. We're celebrating your birthday. We're away. This is the lens we go to to, to make the Straight Talk and Mental Health podcast mm-hmm. happen. Um, few technical difficulties. Always. We, as always, um, we've got some sort of a setup. We're not probably not looking great if you're looking on YouTube. We apologize. You're down next weekend. That's proper studio setup. Mm-hmm. All the lights are in place, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to look really good next week. But in the meantime, we apologize, but we're away. Um, and... Uh, Thanks for checking in. <laughs> Before we get into all that, this is the Straight Talk Mental Health Podcast, where it does exactly what it says in the tin. Talk straight about mental health. This week, we're talking bipolar, and we've got one of the most Irish names ever coming up on the show later on. Kit O'Malley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Irish. yeah. So you'd have to be American. You can't. Even Irish people aren't that Irish. Mm. You have to be American to be that Irish. So she's got a wonderful story to say about her life of bipolar. Uh, what it's like having a son. Her son was um, ASD, not ASD, ADHD. Mm. Brought its own difficulties. Brought it brings its own difficulties under the best of circumstances. Brings a lot more difficulties when you're bipolar. Um, so, and she also speaks later on about the importance of acceptance around being diagnosed with something like bipolar. Uh, fascinating story, and we have a good crack. But in the meantime. My name is Alan Clark, psychotherapist with a Green Council Psychotherapy, currently contorted into some sort of position to get myself onto microphone here. And my back is going to be in bits. Yeah, my shoulder <laughs> yeah. is. But then we're fucking to... suffering. You got you say to say you gotta suffer for your art. We are we are suffering for our art. Maybe if I go that way. Mm. Um see how that goes. So we're contorted, we're doing our best. It normally takes a toll on our physical health or our mental oh. health. 
it's taking a toll on her physical health today mm-hmm. because this is a small setup. Um, Alan Clark, host of Straight Talk Mental Health Podcast, with the lovely birthday girl, Ashling Mailer. Hello, how are you? How are you? There it is, folks. The, how are you? That's all you need to know. That's mm. We can turn it off after that. Once there we get that. I bet there's people who go, oh, yeah, oh, how, yeah. how are you? Oh, the way Don't. she says it. Uh, and oh. then they just keep resting repeat on you, <laughs> you, 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 and <laughs> <laughs> Or is that just you? That's just me. <laughs> Listen to myself. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Gotta get these headphones out. They're hanging on my ear. I think we're all right to go. So, kit coming up later on to discuss bipolar. At the start, this is just where we check in. What's been going on in our lives? How we're mm-hmm. feeling? How have you been feeling? Oh, I'm dosed. <laughs> you were sick. Uh, I'm still. I'm sick. Still. Yeah. Not so, like 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 not our normal. Not our normal sick. Yeah. Like, like sick, sick. Like the contagious kind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've been sick for the last since Sunday, haven't I? Mm-hmm. Bad fever Tuesday, and I'm just you starting me fever. You probably did give me the fever. It wasn't me. Um, Must have been fucking choose the man that you were talking about. You've given me COVID before. I don't... Fuck right off. I didn't. Yes, you did. I didn't. You had all the symptoms and you met, then we met up for the weekend. Two of us went to Finlock. But you had the symptoms pre-hand. We, we can argue I, I all did. day about this. Yeah. You did have a cough. Anyway, um, you've had this you had this cold before a couple of weeks ago. Basically what you have, if you've got that flu that's been going around, that's been flooring people. Mm. That everyone keeps testing themselves. Oh shit, I must have COVID. I've tested myself a few But they don't times, have COVID. Yeah. I think it's just OG flu. I think it's just a good old regular really flu. Bad. Like yeah. no, well, I had a fever on Tuesday. Yeah, I was literally sitting on top of the radiator, doubled up with layers. Mm. I said to you, so if you listen back a couple of episodes when we were in Hollyhead, Alan's ailments, all yeah. that stuff that was wrong with me at the time, you you've basically got that, haven't you? Yeah, well, the cold bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've definitely got the cold. I'm coming out the other side, and then mm. yeah, so I'm just thankfully this week has not been the best. In regards to myself and Delilah's health. Yeah. I know, but I'll talk about that's my, that's my Ryle. That's your Ryle. We'll save that for a smile. Smiles and Ryle's coming up coming up later on. So last week was our check-in episode. Chicks with X. Mm. You eventually got the reference. I did. When you fucking woke me up to tell me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> know you were sleeping. <laughs> lying in bed, like, oh yeah, I got, I got that. I was like, oh, fuck. So I think I was fucking asleep. <laughs> what about this morning, how I woke you up telling you my dream? A fucking Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't got the gist of the podcast so far, goes a little bit something like this. You would have seen in quotation marks around your your name description mm-hmm. on the video, not wise. So basically, we're not wise and grumpy. No, I said this one day walking. Yeah, home. it was excellent. Yeah. It was an excellent said, description for you're us. You're grumpy and I'm just not wise. Yeah. You nearly choked yourself. Yeah, laughing. it was very funny because I'm grumpy because you're not wise. You're grumpy, full <laughs> stop, but you don't need an excuse to be grumpy. <laughs> I, 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 don't get, need an excuse I get to be now. I'm a fucking grumpy old man. So, uh, anyway. Yeah, well, she's not fucking wise, as you can tell. You definitely make me grumpy. As you seen me fucking freaking out going, it's not about you. It's not about you, Ashley. It's like, I, that's me. That's me. It's not, we're not talking about you. We're not talking about you. Mm-hmm. Last week. Check back last week's episode, Chicks with Icks. Yeah, good laugh. And it's a good, some good comments. Mm. How you end up? Big shout out to Ender. So one of the, well, I don't know if, the, no, this wasn't your one. One of the Icks that we received in. Flip Flops. That was wasn't one of mine, them. no. That wasn't yours. Flip Flops. Ender says on YouTube, what happens if you're on a beach? Would understand socks or flip flops or sandals as a Nick. Anyways, great show again, all. Mm. So you said, no, you're grand at the beach, just not on a first date. Oh, yeah, definitely not on yeah, the first date. And, and yeah, and good feet. Uh, Mary mm. Gibney, Mary, our, our previous guest on mm. our LGBTQ and parenting episode. Thanks again, Al, for having me on and for the support. It was, uh, so I spoke, we spoke last week of, we just reflected on the previous week's episode. 
mm-hmm. Mary's episode. Yeah, it was definitely tough going through the 80s in school and then following on into the late 90s, not having outlets and information that is available today. But sure, we got through it as with everything in life. Loving the X, have to say I do agree with quite quite a few. Sorry, Al, but I have to agree with Ashling on one or two. None of them were my ones, the icks you had about me with my t-shirts. Just one, Let's just clarify that. One thing. One of my biggest icks is people who chew with their mouths open. So not only do you get to see the compactor, comma, mouth, crushing and grinding down the food, but you also get the sound of sound effects. Or the ultimate one, the nose picker. First part the brain root out, then followed by thoroughly examining it, rolling it between the fingers, and then pass me the puke bucket, eat it. Oh. There's yeah. people that do that. They eat it. Yeah. They're rolling it, having a oh, pick, stop. rolling it. Give it a flick. Give it a flick or eat it. Uh, so, yeah, people eat with their mouth open. I'm not good for that. I, do you know what I don't like? And I probably, you've just reminded me. People that spit. And you usually say it with men. Oh, where they men spit are, on men the, are spitters. Spit on the floor. Yeah. Just, ooh, yeah. don't do that in front of me because it makes me want to bulk. Yeah. That so. gets sick for people that don't speak Yorkshire. No, um, that's Irish. No, oh. well, it's Nordy Irish. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Nordy Irish. Folk. Uh, Jerry Berry and Jerry Berry. Mm-hmm. Don't know Jerry if you're gay man or female woman. Uh, but um, Jerry Berry's comment in in relation to the icks, men wearing pointy toed shoes. Ick. Mm. I like a good skate trainer or a chunk chunky shoe or boot. If you say pointy shoe, you remind me of the penguin <laughs> from Batman. Danny DeVito. Mm. Yeah, that was the. That was the comments in relation. But you know what we didn't do? What? Didn't do the fucking social media. What do you mean? Didn't plug the social media. We don't need to have said it that many times. There's always new listeners. Well, they didn't listen because they know how to do it themselves. <laughs> they don't need to be told twice. Give them, give them the social media. Stop trying to get over. <laughs> right, so you can find us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook and What's the other one? <laughs> Twitter. Twitter. The Twitter? Twitter. Uh, at STMH Podcast. Uh, the email address is hello at stmhpodcast.com. And the website is www.stmhpodcast.com. Yeah? I wasn't even listening. I was trying to get up comments here. Oh, you can find us on YouTube. <laughs> at, STM- at, at Straight Talk and Mental Health. There you go. In the search bar. I'll trust everything she said. I don't know. I was I was getting up the comments. Normally at the laptop. The laptop is on the bed over there. That's connected into the plug. That's connected into the camera. So we have to. Seriously, we're fucking. We're. Oh, it's we're, tight in here. I can hear him pee. Like I'm literally at the door trying to go. Like knock if you need help. Right. He's like. Helen. For for first time listeners <laughs> to the show, I got a thing. I don't it's like being thing. around people going toilet. I don't want to hear them. I don't, Even want, on the I don't want being floor, heard. You don't want to be on the same floor. Yeah, I don't want to be heard. But I don't so now hear. the bed, the pillow is actually where you put your head is beside the, yeah. where the toilet is. Yeah, so if I need to do the number twos, I'm just going to fucking hold it. Oh, stop. <laughs> hold it. Can I hold it? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm joking. Uh, new week. Back to the comments. Uh, Rob, Rob, who had previously sent in the correspondence. Mm. Thanks very much, Rob. Brilliant show. I'm very insightful. Uh, careful with the stick and chocolate up to dooter <laughs> as this is a fucking thing you were going to do is like oh you wake up like you've got a serious fucking thing with me pooping like it's funny yeah and i, I can't even do it because i ate all the chocolate yeah all the chocolate all the biscuits like, there's just nothing left ross harbour is that what's called yeah i think so. that's where we are we're in ross harbour we're in these pods 
beside mm. a lake. Um, that's where we are. Um, careful with sticking chocolate up to tutor. It may start with a chocolate button, but it'll end up in duty-free size Toblerone if he gets a taste for it. To which I said, oh, Toblerone? You mean ribbed for my pleasure. You see, <laughs> it starts as a joke and you all boys take it all too far. Mm. You do. You're the worst offender, Alan. No, I'll, I'll fuck off. There's a line. Yeah. Fuck that shit. Mm-hmm. I'm running past it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel, awesome as always. You encourage me to want to be a counselor even more. Just doing my level two. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much, Rachel. Rachel's always in contact. She was talking in the past about uh, kind of being inspired and the help she gets, the mental health advice mm-hmm. and stuff that we give on the show. Um, that's made her want to go on study counseling. Brilliant. So she's getting there. Um, Orla. Thanking Mary for sharing her story. I admire your courage and honesty. That, mm. was, that was last week. I had put up a post of one of the things that we had discussed last week where I said work was a little bit down mm. at the time. Not over the last couple of weeks. And I said therapy is going to be a luxury for people. Mm-hmm. Um, Raymond. Good to hear from you again. Remember Raymond? Oh, yes, of yeah. course. Mm-hmm. Um, to which Raymond had commented, I've gone deep in debt because, because of healthcare. I have no choice. It's either live the way I've always had before diagnosis or treat the problem. Living without treat means I don't function as well as I should and therefore live a hard life or get treatment and function better but live in constant debt. What a world we live in. Either way, I'm struggling and dealing with stigma still. Mm, that's sad. This is this is what it's this is what people are facing. Mm. Um Yeah, it's just fucking it's hard. Mm. It's really hard. Like um if people are struggling, check out low cost counseling, check out resources in your area, such as Chuck Dar in Clare Town. They offer free mm. cover a free couple of free sessions. Uh low cost counseling, you will be with a, a student therapist. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be at a reduced rate. Sometimes it's free, sometimes it's at a very a very minimal cost. <laughs> so check those out if you are struggling with whatever area you may be in. Check your area for those options because mm-hmm. winter's coming in. We're wearing coats. It's fucking freezing. It's 30 degrees on my toes. I can actually it's get It's not ice. 30 degrees. The air condition or the, the heating unit is set to 30 degrees. It is not 30 degrees. You can't leave the door open because <laughs> yes. only to get out, it yeah. would go cold. So there was a hot tub, but the fucking heavens are open. It's you lashing. You were taking the piss. I walked in and I seen the nightgown. I was like, I'm I'm going into the nightgown. Oh, yeah, you were always cold. And then he was like, all right, I'll join you. <laughs> so, yeah, so the both of us were nightgown, slippers on, lying up on the sofa. We've done the social media. Hmm. We've done the how we've been. You've been sick. Mm. You've been sick. Delilah is now well. Yeah, a little bit miserable. But it's your birthday. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? A lot better now. Like we've had such a lovely day. Um, you were lovely yesterday. Uh, with the kids, you and Aoife decided to. What what would you say conspire behind my back? Well, that was me. To be fair, I'm not going to blame. I I totally corrupted the child. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I I text Aoife. On Thursday, they said, did you get something for your mom? Or there's money there, take some money. Mm. Did you get something for your mom? She said, she was boasting. I was like, I have money in my blazer. I was like, well, aren't you fucking great? <laughs> oh, laddie fucking da. Like, <laughs> I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. Right. Um, so she was going to get you something. I was like, oh, do you know what? I'll meet you. I'll pick you up from school. We'll go downtown. Uh, we'll get like a cake, mm. stuff like that. And she's like, okay. Mm. And then Delilah got an appointment at the doctor's, had to text her. Not gonna be able to pick you up. Ask oh, Grand, I'll pick something up. 
and then she was going to do that and then you're like get home Ethan's at home on his By own, own yeah. I'm like don't give out to her she didn't do anything wrong don't give out to her I'm like I'm not giving out to her he's like yeah but just don't I was literally explaining where dinner yeah. was <laughs> so with the Android Auto in the car mm. if she replied back to me mm. um, it would have showed up and you would be like what's Eva texting for mm. so I had to I couldn't even connect my phone I had to leave my phone in my pocket I text Eva so right come on you, uh, we got to come up with something um Oh, I fuck it. I'll tell I'll tell your mom I forgot the cable for the microphone, mm. and um, just say, oh, we'll say you got jealous because I was with Delilah and you wanted some bonding time, ha ha, joke kind of thing. Like, mm. and she's like, okay. I was like, or oh, we'll just say I just just bring you to the shop. Mm. <laughs> so we went down to the shop. You didn't even tell me you had Eva. Yeah, I left that word out. <laughs> I meant to say in a text, Aoife's with me. Um, so you're ringing Aoife and as I we're walking into the shop, yeah, yeah, to to pick up the stuff. Um, and picking up all the bits. And then we're like, oh, you got to get the story straight. And then we're like, oh, shit, where is she? She's in the sitting room. I leave that bag there. She's in the, yeah, right, wait there. And then you come into the kitchen. She brought the bag into the kitchen and you come in to get a bottle for Delilah because you're going for a nap. Mm. And she's standing in front of the bag trying to hide it. <laughs> you went up to bed. You went up to bed, had a nap. I'm downstairs. I got the candles lighting on the fucking cake. Mm-hmm. And you're upstairs yapping. I had to blow the fucking candles out because they were melting. And then I'm wait. I'm downstairs with the lighter waiting. And Ethan's <laughs> going up about two or three times, trying to get you to come down. And you're like just up there playing. Oh really? Yeah. And I'm fucking downstairs, standing there with the lighter, just waiting to hear who's that coming down. I'm fucking lighting. Oh, I was on Ethan. Fuck's egg, Ethan. I'm like, oh, she's coming, oh, she's coming, she's coming, she's coming. And then I had to light the fucking candles. No. There would have been no candles left on the cake. You're about an hour from when you woke up to when you actually came down. It takes me a while to stir. <laughs> and then, plus, don't forget Delilah was sleeping. Yeah. And then I asked you to come. No, because I got her awake. No, I was deliberately trying to get her awake. She really wasn't falling oh, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you came up and you were using every excuse to go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, I have to go to Tyler. Yeah. And I know then I can't go near you. Yeah. <laughs> so, Only because yeah. you don't want me wet in your bed. Mm. <laughs> Again. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, so yeah, came downstairs, all the children were there, the cake was done and sweets and all that. So that was lovely. And you were going to film me and I was like, no, don't yeah, be so embarrassing. Yeah. Um, Ethan did. Yeah, good job, so, Ethan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Must get some of them pictures from him. See if we can put them in the video. I think right. just one picture and he filmed yeah, it as well. Yeah. So I wasn't, I didn't know he was doing that. Mm. Um, so that was lovely. And then today, uh, what did we do? We went to Balik. That was, that, that little cafe was oh gorgeous. yeah it was like a little coffee coffee so shop detached nice. or something like that and even the toilet yeah. was like the shed out the bar literally an outhouse an you outhouse. have to go outside yeah where yeah. it's just a toilet it was weird it was weird yeah. it, was, it was lovely really yeah. really nice um this is lovely and i know we're going to harvey's point harvey's point harvey's tomorrow point tomorrow for your birthday mm-hmm. yeah. my, one of my favorite places mm. so i have been spoiled oh scarf as well that scarf i haven't taken warm, off yeah. you must have known it was dressing gown from my house so mm-hmm. basically it was like Paid for this, paid for tomorrow, all that sort of thing. And you're like, I don't want anything. I was like, well, you, I was like, gotta get you something. You have to have something to open mm. on the day. So I was like, you're always fucking cold. Scarf, big woolly socks, and a big woolly dressing gown. I would be wearing <laughs> all three if I could, but yeah. the dressing gown is at home. Yeah. So no, I'm perfect. And you've never shopped for a woman before, and you always seem to I'm get fucking it right. nailing it. You I'm are nailing to it. Be fair, you are. Yeah. 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 I've even bought your laundry. I've even bought your underwear. It goes right. It goes on holiday. <laughs> Went off for my annual golf trip with the boys. Yeah, so you go yeah. to your golf trip, and usually, like when someone goes away, you get like a key ring or something like that. No, I get Victoria's Secrets lingerie at the airport. 
and I, I could have bought it myself online. Usually, you get a key if someone goes away, you get a keychain or something. You're Fuck just, it, sorry, like you're just wanting to like. Oh, I've been playing golf with the boys now. Go and throw this on, sweetheart. Yeah, makes it look nice. <laughs> was red, was nice. <laughs> you did good, to be fair. I it did, was, yeah, it was yeah, nice. It yeah. was nice. Um, so yeah, no, you've done well. You've done. I don't think you picked one thing for me that no, I've not liked. Right. Mm. All right, mm-hmm. I think we've got yeah. similar taste. Again, yeah. so. Anyway, with all that being said, happy birthday. Thank you very much. Yeah, love yeah. you. Hope you had a nice day. I had a lovely day. Thank you very mm, much. Still, but full of cold. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I, I can't wait to go to bed and watch this TV program that we're in both into. Yeah, wild romantic night. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> we're getting older now. Alan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you get to this age, you're like, oh, I just want to be warm in bed. <laughs> yeah, where's the water bottle? Um, but yeah, no, I've had a lovely time. Good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. I've had a lovely time. Thank you very Good. much. Um, smiles and rose. That was my smile. Sorry, I thought that's what we were doing. Oh, you blew your load. No, I didn't. I thought that was my smile. I didn't say it. It's my smile. This is my smile. We wind. <laughs> Come back. That was our smile. Yeah, that was um, smile. I don't know if that was a smile. That's probably going to be this. Last mm-hmm. week, I loved last weekend. We went to Powers Court Waterfall. That was lovely. Uh, really enjoyed that. James was posing for mm-hmm. pictures. He was a poser. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, Danny, get one of these ones. Like, mm-hmm. he does not pose. No. You're like, he's a typical boy. James, get in the picture here. Mm. Do I have to? Yeah, you do. Just get mm. in. Uh, but fair play. I thought he was lovely. He was yeah, up on the rocks and he was it. posing yeah. at the waterfall. So I really enjoyed that. He was coming out with Shell. He was, he's, he's a quiet little boy. And he's, he's a great kid. And, mm. you know, it just it's nice to see him come out with Shell like that. And he really enjoyed That's it. Good. I'll pop up a, I'll pop up a picture. Again. We had chips as well that day and all. Oh, you and your fucking drink. You little <laughs> fucking rat. <laughs> Stop your own drink. <laughs> bought drinks. Went to the shop. Bought drinks. Oh. I'm like, do you gonna bring it? I was like, nah, I'll leave in the car. So I get him. So I asked him, are you gonna bring it? You like, brought yours. Yeah, damn right. I was like, I'll buy his chips. Yeah. You're a salt fiend. Salt, salt, salt. Yeah. Move them all around. Salt, salt, salt. Move them all around. Salt, salt, salt. So we're eating salty chips, and it's lovely. And the sun, the sun yeah. was shining. And we're walking on Power Scored Waterfall, and <laughs> I fucking, oh, I was like, oh, geez, I'm thirsty now. Turn around. Can I get some of that drink? I drank it all. <laughs> no one's seen you. It was my drink. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't hiding it either. Yeah. I wasn't well, how hiding. Come neither of us saw you drinking if it. If you're going for a walk, would you not take your drink? I literally, because I'm an adult, took my drink because we were going for a walk. We're going fucking 500 meters. I didn't know that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I've never been there in my life. I neither had knew. I, but I could see the waterfall and we're here. Like. Yeah, but we didn't know we were going to continue yeah. walk. And I yeah, took my but... drink with me. You left your drink in the car and got thirsty and then wanted to drink the drink <laughs> that I had. I just wanted a sip. All the salty chips he, that you salted. He was raging. Oh, I fucking was. You drank I it. I can't believe you drank it. I, I can't, can't even believe, offer any. I can't believe you drank the drunk I bought you. Like, <laughs> And I left my drink in the car. How very dare you? Like, when you think about it like that, that's what I was listening yeah, to. Yeah, like, you know. <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, are you for real? Like, uh, there's a shop there, which is point A, yeah. or you can go to your car, point B, <laughs> or you could have just, like, literally took the drink with you. So, uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah. This is what I deal with, Mr. Grumpy. You have to laugh at because all. Because you're not fucking wise. I'm grumpy because you're not wise. I was wise. wise enough to take a fucking drink with me when we're going for a walk. <laughs> you weren't. So, true story. Yeah, true, story. true. That's my smile. Last last week was was my smile. I really enjoyed that time with James. Mm. Uh, I just seen him coming over Shell and oh, it's the three of us together. Yeah. Love that. Lovely yeah. photos yeah. too. Yeah, lovely little family time. Mm. Really enjoyed it. Um, so that's my smile. Got some lovely photos of the family last week, this week. We need to land them now. Um, have we got Royal? 
Ryle this uh, this week again with Delilah. God, what a week we've had with Delilah. Um, kind of knew on Sunday she was talking. She was complaining about her head. She was yeah, drawing pictures, yeah. drawing pictures of Ali and and uh, me and and she just and every person that she drew, she had to say Ali with a sore head, Mummy mm. with a sore head. So obviously there's this pattern. Um, and we didn't know what it was. So anyway, the next day, Monday. Oh Jesus! By then I was dying. And she's yeah. complaining of a sore head. So we're like around it. It was we Monday you woke up sick, was it? Or were you feeling sick on the Sunday? Sunday night. I wasn't Sunday well. Night. I was sneezing when, as soon as I came home. Mm. Um, so on the Monday, um, when I came back from work, sorry, it was, uh, I seen the lump on the side of her head. Mm. So I was like, Jesus, I need to call the doctors here, blah, blah, blah. And look, he thinks he's, she's scratched it. It's got infected. Uh, I washed the hair and it's, it's it's weeping. It's weeping. Yeah, it was all it was all blistered. It was kind of like little Monday, tiny, tiny yeah. little tiny pinpricks of blisters. Yeah. Um. So he thinks that the hairbrush is caught, has got infected, um. And this is what's happened here. So he gave antibiotics. Uh. He was like, "All right, we'll give you this antibiotic. It doesn't taste the best. You might not want it." Of course she didn't want it. She, it, it he's more or less mm. said that it was disgusting. So I had to ring up again, get a second antibiotic. So we're going on that. Just didn't seem to get better. And I was panicking. I'm not a worrier. I've said mm. it enough times. I don't worry. And I started to worry. I was starting to panic because if you see the picture of it, and I was sending it to you, this is not me exaggerating or, or jumping to, you know what I mean? This mm. is a so, that's sore, isn't it? Like it's a lump. It's red. It's, it's weeping. It's mm. the hair is starting to map to it. So took her, you you came around. We took her to the doctors again. Uh, she's on a second week, so she's going to be on antibiotics now for two weeks, basically, um, ten days to two weeks. He said, mm. um, and basically, don't wash your hair, like don't wash it at all. And I was like, because you never know what to do. Is yeah. apparently like do you yeah, wash yeah, it to yeah. wash the pus. You were worried. Blood? You were actually you were worried. Oh which yeah. Because I was like, I fucking like I'm older kids than you. Mm. More kids than you. I was like. Never seen anything. You've like that. never seen never that before. Seen I've like that. never seen it. No before. one has. Yeah. No one Ethna. Your mom, your auntie Ethna. Mm-hmm. No one has. Yeah. Uh, so you can understand my concern why she was in bed with me as well, just because I was just panicking. So I'm mm. sleeping with her. Yeah, you night. had her in bed. <laughs> and I don't sleep beside my kids. Uh, I like my own space. Yeah, well, they do as well. They love their own <laughs> it's space. It's not like, fuck off, child. Oh, no. We all like our own space. But even at that point, I was like, oh, do you know what? I just want to keep an eye on you. I just mm. don't feel 100%. Mm. We're both sick together. We might as well just, just be sick together in bed. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I was I was very concerned. Mm. So That's what about you? Yes, yeah, my Ryle. My Ryle. Fucking Trump paint on the Van Gogh oh, painting. Yeah. I'm all for climate change. I'm all for fucking increasing uh, cost of living. Totally all for that. Mm. These people have done nothing to advance their cause. Mm-hmm. All they've done is made people go, what a bunch of fucking idiots. Like. Mm-hmm. They've done, they've, they've worked against themselves. Like, but these ones here, I don't think they're working with anybody. I think these are children. Well, they're not children. They're young. I'd say they're young college girls. I'd say they're 18, 19, 20, mm-hmm. kind of in around that. You think? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, but She was a nervous mess. That's like, but you're doing nothing. Like, what's it got to do with anything? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. People can't afford, you know, people can't afford to heat a fucking a cup of soup. Mm-hmm. So I'll throw it over a fucking piece of art. Mm-hmm. Van Gogh died fucking penniless, like. Mm. <laughs> and that tin of soup could have fed someone I've seen a lot I of mean, comments and they're like, like to not get the irony why didn't you give that yeah. to someone some homeless person who oh, doesn't I'm have a tin of soup with it. Yeah, yeah I'm not agreeing with it in the slightest yeah point. so mm-hmm. I just didn't. you just didn't help just yeah. didn't help themselves yeah. mm-hmm. so that's me Royal. didn't think it through I don't think no mm-hmm. no 
they've done nothing. All they're trying to do is promote who they are. They're not actually promoting what they're about. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so not helping matters. All for climate change. All for fucking save the planet. All mm-hmm. for fucking feeding people. All against the cost oh, of yeah. living. Not not about that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's me, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Anything else then, or we kick over to Kate? Anyway, take it away, Kate. So this week on the Straight Talk and Mental Health Podcast, we're doing things a little bit different. A couple of weeks ago, we had a Canadian on, well, a person in Canada named Robert O'Brien, but he was actually from Ireland and he was living over in Canada. This week, we're going to have someone who has quite the Irish name, but not quite the Irish accent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she's going. I'm sure she's going to tell us that her people are from the old country. I'm guessing with a name like Kit O'Malley. Kit, how are you this evening? My I'm time. doing well. Yes, cool. but actually, both my parents are half Irish, half German. It turns out interesting. That the right? Germans M- and Michael the Fassbender Irish, mix. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had somebody I knew who was half Irish, half German, who said, "Well, you have to have the Irish self-deprecating sense of humor to be the master race." <laughs> <laughs> and we're off to a fucking good start. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> what was what was the other one of uh, the cross between Irish and German? It was something like, it'll be done properly tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing. Like when I get into the, all this ancestry stuff, like the Germans, they documented everything and the Irish. Eh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be grand. Someone, someone will figure it out. That's that's the Irish attitude on it. Yeah. My ancestry's, I guess, something like more more Irish than German because it doesn't. Even though the you know it was half Irish, half German in terms of who married whom, mm. the, a lot of the German DNA just comes up as Western European, and you can inherit more or less genes from the Irish or from the German. And both my sister and I are more Irish than we are German in terms of genetically. Um, so, and she, when she found out that she was more Irish than I was from, you know, our DNA testing, mm. she just immediately let me know I'm more Irish than you. <laughs> <laughs> All that means is you've got a predilection toward alcoholism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Without a doubt. Without yeah, a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, a German beer. Yeah, I have to be. <laughs> to, to craft German exactly. beers. <laughs> Except for Puccine. Totally. So, yeah, yeah. so outside yeah. of the ancestry kit, t- tell us a little bit. Of, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I'm um, I'm somebody who. Well, first of all, I'm a mother of a now 22 year old uh, college student son. Um, he grew up with ADHD, severe migraines, depression, and anxiety. So he was a challenge to parent. And um, I'm a wife of 25 years. Um, and, um, I, uh, live with bipolar disorder. So I'm, I'm also an author, um, I'm a former psychotherapist, um, and, uh, do public speaking, um, primarily as a volunteer for the United States National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, I do a lot of volunteer work for them. Mm. Former psychotherapist. Former psychotherapist. Yeah. So yeah, so I have an interesting story. Mm, if I tell my narrative, I Absolutely. yeah, I okay. So my 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 narrative starts um, uh, when I was with mental health issues. When I was eighteen, um, I was a biochemistry student at UCLA. So I think 
people around the world know about UCLA. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I became severely depressed, um, and, and suicidal. Um, and I, uh, got help. I, uh, you know, called a friend and called my resident assistant at the, in the dormitory and I got help and, uh, went through cognitive behavioral therapy that helped me through that, uh, crisis. Mm. Um, and then throughout my twenties, I was diagnosed as having, um, depression. They called it dysthymia, which is mm. like chronic depression. That's the bad and, one. Um, the bad, right. It doesn't go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, um, but I, qu I quit UCLA. I went on to go to UC Berkeley studying legal studies oh. and two highly and prestigious I was a schools. Legal assistant and as a workaholic. Yeah. Yeah. I was a smarty pants. Mm. Uh, hopefully I still am. <laughs> so, and then I, um, and there were very high expectations of me. Like when I was a kid, my parents would introduce me as this is Kit. She's going to go to Harvard medical school. So to me, going to UCLA was a failure because I didn't get into okay. Harvard. Um, yeah, I didn't get into the Ivy league schools. I remember my sister saying, can you imagine what that would have been like though, if you had been suicidal and been on the east coast of the united states rather than you know 20 miles from home you know so mm. you know she's like no you're supposed to be closer to home um you know i used to go home on the weekends and stuff so um yeah so anyway and then i i graduated i was a workaholic um i crashed uh from workaholism and um and ended up just sort of uh, there was some sort of synchro sync uh, synchronicity, you know, like just uh, I uh, had went to a um, met somebody who was connected to a, a graduate school um, that had a legal a, a law school and they had a psychology program, and so I went to graduate school at the school. It's called New College of California in San Francisco. It's not very well known. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was perfect for being in San Francisco because it was very kind of lefty, you know, hippie. Mm. Mm. <laughs> like everything you'd associate with that, with that part of LA. Everything part San of Francisco, yeah, yeah. this grad school was. And so I, I got a master's in psychology and I went on to um, uh, work with severely emotionally disturbed adolescents in residential and day treatment. And I did that until um, I was about 30. So it was my mid-20s to um, 30. And at that point, um, that year, my grandmother died. A friend from high school died of AIDS. It was in the, the midst of the AIDS crisis. So, uh, you know, and living in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area meant that I'd ha I mm. had a lot of friends who, either, who had AIDS and who were dying. And it was very painful. Um, and then um, I had a client who was a six foot tall, 16 year old uh, boy, and he threatened to rape me during session. And so I went to go get the phone and he disconnected the phone. And luckily I was good at in, in American football. Uh, it's called rushing the quarterback when you're able to get through the linebackers. Mm -hmm. and I think that's what they're called and get yeah. to the quarterback and get there. Yeah. You, you so went for I the was sack. always good at doing yeah, I was always good at doing that in flag football. You know, I mean, obviously I'm not able to tackle people, but I was always good. I was a tennis player, so I was able to go back and forth real quickly. And so I was able to get past him by faking him out. And um, and I got out and got help. But but after that, I was not able to get out of bed. 
I wasn't, I just did not want to go back to work. And I, here I am a 30 year old calling my parents and saying, I can't get out of bed. I can't do this anymore. And they said, Kit, go to your doctor, look into getting medication, you know, to help you. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I went to my doctor she put me on um, an SSRI, the first SSRI, which was Prozac. And I don't know if the brand names are different overseas, but um, then I, um, um, and I had a side effect of that. So she put me on another antidepressant that was sedating and uh, to counteract the side effect of my parents. I was on the phone with my parents, you know, cause I was up in the San Francisco Bay area and they were in Southern California and they said, why don't you go to a psychiatrist for a second opinion since you're having side effects and stuff? So the psychiatrist took me off both those medications and put me on a tricyclic. And after that, and we're talking about a rapid change of medications within just a few months. So after that, I um, started, I, I had a, a, a week of full-blown mania in which I was psychotic. Um, so at this point I was no longer working. I couldn't work. So, um, I was thinking in three different, uh, streams of, uh, thoughts, simultaneous streams. One was binary code, just a bunch of zeros and ones. One was about the Christian mystic saints, which I'm totally into. Love those Catholic saints. <laughs> <laughs> and one was about chaos theory, which was definitely above my pay grade, my knowledge about physics and mathematics. <laughs> so I found it, I knew I was psychotic and I actually just was able to observe the thought processes and think, wow, this is cool. I wish I could record this and see if it makes any sense. You know, slow it down, play it back, get it, put it through a computer, see if there's any sense in this. But what what ended up happening was a friend of mine, um, after this week, a friend of mine who knew what was going on called my priest and my father. Um, and um, at this point in time, I had switched from a Catholic church that in an urban area in Oakland, California, that really was too um, overwhelmed to address the individual needs of members because there was just a large urban mm. area. And I had moved to a, a smaller community and uh, became an Episcopalian. So my parents were like, oh, no, people are turning in their graves. <laughs> Church of England? Oh. So. <laughs> Jesus. You became you an Anglican. Yeah, you would have been better to become but a fucking Nazi. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Actually, it was more a joke. My parents were just totally okay with it. But I, you know, um, so it's sort of like Catholic light, right? You know? Mm -hmm. And so um, I, yeah, yeah, right? And so I, uh, but the good thing about this community is that the priest came right over, like as soon as my friend called, and he brought a seminarian, a woman seminarian, who had bipolar disorder, um, so that they could, you know, inter they could help me. And so he had me call my psychiatrist who prescribed um, antipsychotics, which just stopped those thoughts immediately and put an end to that psychotic episode. Um, I went on the antipsychotics just for three days, just enough to bring me down from that and re recover from, not completely recover, but you know, get three days of sleep, which I needed because mm. I'd had a week of no sleep. Um, and after that, I ended up moving in with my parents because I wasn't able to. My brain was still broken. It was in recovery from that episode. I couldn't even read. So I tried to 
take like do work, you know, like take temporary jobs that were, um, but you know, like just uh, like being a secretary, an administrative assistant. But I couldn't read, and you have to be able to read <laughs> to, to, to do that kind of work. Like the words wouldn't hold together. Mm. The letters in a word wouldn't hold together. The words in a sentence wouldn't hold together. Um, it, I just, my brain was not working and I just realized, okay, I can't, I can't do this. You know, I was, I was falling asleep driving. So I moved back in with my parents and I had uh, the, one of the horrific things for me was that the psychiatrist I was seeing then was a psychodynamic psychotherapist. And actually I was psych psychodynamically trained, but I never would have said this to a client. He told me that I was in the adolescent phase of development now here I was a woman. Yeah. Here I was a woman who had put gone through graduate school on my own, you know, in the San Francisco Bay area. And, you know, I had boyfriends I lived with, but then I was it also lived independently on my own in the San Francisco Bay area and supported myself and went to graduate school and had really minimum debt considering how much, you know, that I had gone to grad school. Mm. Um, so I was just, that's just insulting to say to somebody when they're going through uh, a manic episode that their mania and their depression are uh, manifestations of, of, of regression in, you know, in their development. So, and when I told him I was going to move back in with my parents, uh, he rolled his eyes. So, like, oh, you know, that's not, and mm. I said, well, you know, that, that was actually the perfect thing for me to do. Cause my parents were, you know, all of the anger and everything I'd had, cause I'd been in this therapy where they were telling me, oh, I was abused as a child. I was abused as a child. I was abused as a child. And, and uh, yeah, I had an alcoholic family. My mom could be abusive when she was drunk. Um, um, but my parents also loved me. And they were, we were, they were way more functional than the families I was working with as a psychotherapist. And even those dysfunctional families, I could see that the parents loved the kids. They just didn't, they were stuck in a, you know, in, a, I'm losing the term for it, in a cycle, right? Mm -hmm. An intergenerational cycle. So, but my parents loved us and we and raised us to be confident, independent, professional women, my sister and I. So um, they had confidence in us. They taught us to, to think for ourselves. They taught us to be independent and they, they definitely loved us. So they um, had me do things around the house, you know, like paint a room, you know, fix, you know, stuff like that. And, and then as I started to get better, then they started to charge me rent <laughs> and I wasn't able to make enough money doing odd jobs around their house to pay the rent. So, but they, they did it when I was ready. Right. So then I was able to go at that point, I was well enough to go get a job. And I was seeing a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist who were in a group practice. So they were able to communicate with each other. Um, and which I'm a, big proponent of mm. team effort and, and, and the, the family and the person um, and the providers to me are all members of the team, right? That my parents supported me. They were definitely part of that treatment team of getting me to the psychiatrist and getting me to therapy and making sure I was well enough until I was able to do that on my own. So, um, so I ended up um, actually at this time, um, I ended up just taking a temp job 
and which turned into a 10 year career in commercial real estate. Um, but at this time, like right after I moved in with my parents, I, uh, uh, I'll back up a little bit when I was in the middle of this crisis, um, up in the Bay area, um, my sister brought a date and we went out to dinner, um, her new boyfriend. And he told me that he had four brothers. Okay. So another Catholic family. <laughs> Only four. <laughs> Only four. And he had three, he had three sisters. So there are that's eight a, kids. That's a bit more so, like it. That's a bit more There like you go. It. Okay. They're, they're the kind of numbers so, we can work with. Yeah. There you go. So, um, but I didn't care about the sisters. I was just like, whoa, 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 four <laughs> brothers. And I said, are any of them available? You know, hook, hook me up, you know? Mm. And so, and this is, so this is me in the midst of a crisis, still having the confidence to put myself out there that way. Um, you know, I was 30. I needed to, you know, I needed to get married if I wanted to have kids mm. safely. Um, so they connected me with one of his brothers who was moving to Southern California and we, uh, we started to date. And when on one of our first dates, he said to me, and this is after the psychiatrist had told me I'm an adolescent in the adolescent phase of development. He said to me in the midst of still being totally dependent on my parents, you know, and just starting a temporary job, having been a professional before he said, Kit, you are the most independent woman I've ever met. And I started to laugh. And I said, I'm living with my parents. I used to be a psychotherapist. Now I'm just a <laughs> file clerk, in a temporary file clerk. And he said, seriously, you were the most independent woman I ever met. And when I told this to the president of uh, NAMI, which is the National Alliance of Mental Illness, um, you know, our local one, and he also was the president of the national for a while, he said, he turned to my husband um, and he said, you understand that's a compliment, that what she's saying. That, that's a very high compliment that she's saying that you saw her, mm -hmm. right? He saw beyond the illness. He saw beyond any labels. He saw who I really was. So we went on to get married. We've been married, like I said, 25 years and had a son and he, he's doing well. And uh, my experience working with kids helped me parent. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so that's, but, oh, but, okay. So, but to go on just in terms of doing narrative, if you mm. if, please interrupt go, me, because no, no. I can just talk forever. It. It's go like, it. I did not kiss the Balarney stone. My dad did, but I just had the <laughs> gift before I didn't need to kiss it. Mm. Uh, and I don't know if I said that right. No, you did. You did. Okay. So, um, yeah, I was, I went, we went to Ireland on my seventh birthday. Uh, I loved Ireland is just so beautiful. And we had lived in Saudi Arabia for five years before moving to Ireland. And in wow. my imagination, Ireland was going to be the greenest place I'd ever been. And it was the greenest <laughs> place I've ever been, especially after living in the desert. Oh, it's just got, it wouldn't be hard after Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mom, we did visit Se Seattle because my mom was All from right. Seattle and Chicago. My dad was from Chicago. So I had visited grandparents in, in mm. Chicago and Seattle. Seattle's pretty green. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but it's different. Ireland was still the greenest. What happened was I was then sort of stable, even though I'd had the manic episode, the psychiatrist who was treating me when I was 30, 31, he, he, when I moved, right, the new psychiatrist, he, uh, you know, questioned me, asked me if I'd ever been, had 
on lithium or been suggested lithium. And I said, no, but if you think that I should be on lithium, I will take lithium, you know, if that's, if that's what mm. my diagnosis is. And he said, he said, no, I think that your mania was caused by the medication. So they call that iatrogenic, right? Caused by the treatment. He said, let's, let's start you off on an antidepressant. It was a tricyclic, a different tricyclic, not a tricyclic, I'm sorry, an SSRI. So, um, you know, one of the newer SSRIs at that time, that would have been 94. Yeah. And so um, he put me on a very low dose to titrate up slowly. And if my thoughts started to race, I would call and say, okay. And then he would say, okay, let's slow down. Let's go every other day. You know, let's do it slower. Mm. Let's do it lower dose. And so I was able to be uh, stabilized on antidepressants throughout my 20s, but I remained this workaholic, right? So I had, and I remember saying to therapists and prescribing doctors, you know, I'm probably at the very least cyclothymic, which is like what now is like bipolar three, you know, you mm -hmm. have one, two, and three. But when I first was diagnosed, when I first was, had the mania they didn't have two and three in the United States, DSM three. They had, uh, I think it was the DSM three back then. They had just bipolar. They didn't have bipolar one, two, and three. So um, they had it in the literature, you know, it was written about. Mm. Um, so, so I wasn't diagnosed bipolar, even though I knew that I was. I'll, I'll talk quickly about what the difference is. Yeah, please do. Yeah, you, you, you could, got there before you, me. You, 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 <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know what it is. So mm. but for the not listeners that don't know, yeah, exactly. So bipolar one is what you what you would traditionally think of as bipolar. Mm. So that manic episode I was describing that would be the kind of mania that you would have, and most people understand depression. Depression isn't just sadness; it's like it's a persistent sadness for two weeks or longer, um, and it could be not just sadness; it could be a physical thing, like I was feeling like I couldn't get out of bed, you know. Um, so it doesn't necessarily involve suicidal thoughts. It could. It could, uh, or thoughts that you're worthless and all those sort of horrible, horrible thoughts. It can also, I mean, that's a living hell to go through that d severe depression, but it could be a physical manifestation where you just feel very heavy and hopeless. And, um, so that would be depression and that would be mania. So mania is this very, mania can be extremely destructive. People can behave in ways in which they spend you know, all of their savings mm -hmm. or a lot of money. They can be hypersexual where they cheat on their spouse and behave in very irresponsible ways because, and they have a very euphoric feeling. Um, so, and they could have speed, those speeding thoughts I described. They also can have a, which I sound like I'm doing right now, but I'm just excited. <laughs> they have a rush, mm. a very, uh, you know, speech that's quick and put, yeah. you know, and that you can't get a word in edgewise. I don't know if I'm not giving you a word in edgewise. No, no, you're you're just being a great podcast guest. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, so anyway, so that's one, right? So mm -hmm. it's what you th traditionally think of as bipolar. So what what used right. to be called manic depression. So manic depression yeah. and manic depression actually is excellent descriptive. Mm. To but me, they, they I don't changed know why they it. went. To change it, the same they as the, they changed the same as they did with yeah, with sad. They thought seasonal oh, bipolar is better. Yeah. Let's just change the name. <laughs> then it's not stigmatized anymore. Even mm. though why, why should manic depression be stigmatized? It's it it that describes it 
perfectly. Mm. So to me, now bipolar two is a milder form. It's a spectrum disorder. Mm. So bipolar two would be where you would have hypomania rather than a full-blown mania. So what hypomania might be is just, yeah, you have speeding thoughts, but they're not as fast or they're not as they're not psychotic in nature. Like I had psychosis used, you know, it's just a mild, like you might work uh, really hard. You might, you know, it's just sort of, it's just like mania light. (laughs) (laughs) Diet mania. Um, Yeah, diet mania. And then cyclothymia is at the lower end of the spectrum, like bipolar three or or what was called cyclothymia, which is just more more higher and lower the highs the highs and the lows are higher and lower than is normal okay? just, just so above just baseline we'll say on on both sides exactly a little bit higher a right. little bit lower than, than a little than bit higher a little bit lower than a typical person so that wouldn't be something that even necessarily would be treated you'd have to hit the bipolar two before you start being at least treated with medication mm. so um so what happened was here i was being treated for dysthymia throughout my um 30s. And when I was 39, I was a mother of a two-year-old. And I started feeling called to one church for Bible study and called to another church for um, spiritual direction, like God was calling me. And, And the content was fine and the behavior was fine, but I had this euphoric feeling that God was calling me to do these things. And so I recognized that euphoric feeling as being hypomania the euphoria. Okay. And so I, um, uh, what I did was I called the advice nurse on my insurance card in the back of the insurance card. And I had my husband get on the phone. I said, I want you to listen. So you know how serious this is. And I described what was going on. And she said, go to the emergency room or see a psychiatrist today. And I didn't want to go to the emergency room because the United States, that means you're going to be hospitalized. And I didn't really want to be hospitalized at that point. And so, um, and I couldn't get in to see a psychiatrist because it was Friday afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) So I made an appointment for the following Monday and got in to see my regular doctor and she prescribed a mood stabilizer for the weekend. And I went away for the weekend um, to my parents again from our home. We lived an hour away from them at that point. And, um, and I uh, went, I got diagnosed with bipolar two at that point. And, um, and later was hospitalized voluntarily and diagnosed with bipolar one. So I've been living with the diagnosis of bipolar ever since I was 39. That's two decades now. I'm 59. Um, and, but what was really pivotal in that change in diagnosis from depression to bipolar was that I was a stay at home mom at that point when my diagnosis changed. And I thought that my son would be unsafe in my care now that my diagnosis changed from depression to bipolar, even though I was exactly the same person. Mm. Um, and I, I, but that was my internalized stigma, which is incredibly painful to have that internalized stigma. So I, um, I put him um, in daycare and went back to work. But Unfortunately, when I work, I overwork. Mm. And so I did the workaholic thing. And and also my kid turned out to be a very high needs kid. He was diagnosed with ADHD, anxiety, depression, and 
severe migraines. And so here I was trying to balance these things, being a wife, being a mother, being a workaholic, and it just uh, snowballed. And I ended up um, having a crisis, uh, not being able to stop crying. Um, my psychologist had me try to take a week off work and just go away from my son and husband, and but that didn't work. I still was able, wasn't able to stop crying. And so I said, no, I need to go to the hospital. I, you know, I, I know I need it. So I um, went into, uh, was hospitalized for two weeks um, and then was in what's called a partial hospitalization or would also be thought of as day treatment. It's where you go to the hospital. You're, you're not, no longer locked in, mm. right? <laughs> when I was, the two weeks I was, it was locked. This time it's, you go in the morning and you're with other people who are basically a part of the an unlocked part of the hospital where you go in the morning, you have structured meetings all day. This was a really good hospital program. They had group meetings throughout the day, you know, so you'll have art therapy, occupational therapy, you know, yoga, you know, <laughs> all these different things. It was a really good program. Mm. So it was the same sort of thing where we'd have, but we do it going like it's your job. That was my job for months. Okay, until I felt well enough to um, to stop doing that, and then I went back and um, basically was on. Since then, I've been on what's called dis. dis I don't know if they have disability in mm -hmm. Ireland, yeah, yeah. but I've been on disability um, because the working. I I just even going on job interviews, which I've tried to do. You know, tried to go back to work. I I, I start ramping again um so it's just something about work triggers me mm. um do you think so, uh kit and you know because i was thinking as you were talking there of the trauma of that almost assault well do you think that was a trigger for the the bipolar i know it can be triggered by significant events or trauma we had arlene on before in one of our previous episodes whose bipolar was triggered by the death of her father um obviously with not being able to go back to work after the attempted uh, attempted rape or what would have been do, do you mm -hmm. think there was a there was an element of that in there it seems to be a hugely i think the depression was triggered yeah i think that the deepening depression was triggered by it you know the not being able to get out of bed but i didn't have the manic symptoms until i was put on medication so it, it rammed once once you hit that it, yeah, it changed yeah yeah. yeah. So it was, um, I think that it just, for people who have like the predisposition for mm. bipolar, um, if you're put on, if your medication is mismanaged, let me put it that way, yeah. because I was able to be on the correct dosage of the correct medicine, you know, for a decade before I had to, before I started experiencing bipolar, you know, manic symptoms, hypomanic symptoms. So I think that, um, you know, trauma does, is a triggering, can be a triggering, but for me it was triggering of a deep, deepening depression. Mm. Um, and, um, and also when I was 18, you know, there was trauma going on in my life, um, you know, um, in terms of a pain, you know, a, a physical pain that I was going through and stuff like that. So, um, so all that kind of stuff you definitely can be triggering. And, um, and just even leaving home, uh, leaving an alcoholic family 
uh, system, when you're sort of enmeshed in that system, can be a I, I know what that too. is, Kit. Can, can you explain for our listeners enmeshment within the family system? Okay, enmeshment. So I, I was, um, um, I was the, my parents were both eldest in their families, mm. and I was the eldest of two, but still eldest. So, and we, all three of us were basically in an enmeshed relationship. I was treated as if I was an adult Mm. when I wasn't an adult. And I was uh, told things that I should not have been told and saw things I should not have seen and um, was... um, uh, one of the things you'd call it is parentified, but another thing is just that I was part of um, their relationship almost in a way that I should not have been. Mm. In, um, within family systems, we call that triangulation. So you were you were that third, yes. the third stabilizing right. factor between between your two right. parents. Yeah. Right. And so in leaving that, there was especially with, between me and my mom there was, it, it exacerbated a crisis in our relationship. Mm. Um, and, um, and that was very difficult. Um, that wasn't the only thing that was going on at the time. There were other things that I haven't discussed, but, um, but that was definitely a huge theme in my psychotherapy that I went in after the cognitive behavioral, when I was more stable, um, was my relationship with my mother and separating and individuating, which means becoming a separate person and mm. individual um, rather than if one of the, you know, firstborn club. <laughs> <laughs> like even my sister says, oh my gosh, she says, I grew up in a family of, you know, type A personalities. Oh my gosh, what a nightmare. Mm. So <laughs> so to explain but, that for our um, listeners, if, if you go to a therapist and they start asking the names and ages of your siblings what we're really doing at that point is we're establishing birth order so the eldest typically being the responsible one and stuff like that the middle child all all of this sort of thing so as i say you are that befell you right and also like i had been talking about those expectations because they were Mm. such high achievers my parents were um there was an and because i had you know high intelligence we you know, my, and and my sister too, but somehow because she was second born and because she was a gifted athlete, there was more of an expectation for her to become. And actually she had, she was, she was pretty much kick-ass tennis player. Um, but I, uh, for me, it was that I would have these professional, there were professional expectations Mm -hmm. in terms of becoming a doctor and, and they were, things that I actually had a passion for. I, you know, I volunteered in high school, um, as what's called an emergency explorer scout, a medical, like I went into, it's part of the boy scouts. It's, I went into, um, the hospitals and volunteered Mm. in a hospital and I got trained as an emergency medical technician. I was 16, so I was too young to do it, but I was just so fascinated by medicine, um, that I got that training, um, And so I was, and I volunteered when I got to UCLA then too, because I had all this experience volunteering in hospitals and emergency rooms. Um, After two weeks of being what they call a patient escort, which they have everybody do. So you learn the UCLA Medical Center, which is huge. Um, I volunteered in the emergency room, which is almost unheard of for a freshman to volunteer in the emergency room. 
um, because it's a very high pressure um, place. So I had this expectation of achieving at a very high level. Um, And when I um, had this crisis, basically I had to question and pivot that I had to change my expectations of myself Mm. because I was not able to do it. Psych- psychiatrically, my, 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 you know, like I'm, you can have the intelligence to do something, but that doesn't mean necessarily that it's something that you're able to do, or at least not in that way. Because, um, after I had quit, my mom had me go to a psychologist who did testing and stuff to try to figure out, to help me decide what to do next in terms of schools and majors and careers. Mm. And basically, if I'd gone to a smaller school and a different major, you know, I mean, I could, I probably could have become a doctor, you know, just a different way. So, yeah. So that's basically the summary of kind of what I went through in terms of high expectations and also a a relationship that I had to separate from Mm. um, and become an independent adult, which is not an easy thing to do when you've been in this, like you were saying, triangulated relationship enmeshed relationship with your parents yeah yeah well what was it like to to finally get that diagnosis kit did it mean anything for you or was it just a label or well, what was that experience like well at first it was as i said it was i had this internalized stigma so it was devastating you know um and it was wasn't it sort of took a process for me to come to um accept mm the diagnosis and to um, be on a mental, what you would call mental health recovery. Um, and um, and for me, the acceptance of it, the acceptance that um, I was a perfectionist, you mm. know, when I was young and those expect high expectations we were talking about. So to accept myself as, and this, I'm saying this in a good way, as broken. Yeah. yeah. Quotation marks, I would say. Quote and quotation marks, but also there's like, there's a really beautiful metaphor because broken and then put back together, Mm. you know, in a more beautiful way that, that I learned, um, and, and, and a wonderful metaphor for that is like the Japanese, uh, there's a certain Japanese pottery mm. where they take b- broken pottery and they put it back together with gold. Mm. I never say it right. It's <laughs> something with a K, Kinsutsu or whatever. I don't know how to yeah, say yeah. it, but it's, but it's beautiful spiritual message mm. that they do with this pottery. And that's that when we're broken, when something that's perfect is broken and put back together, and actually we're not, it's more beautiful than before. Or something is whole and it's mm. broken and put back together is more beautiful than before. And I wasn't even whole before. Basically, I was there was a lot of self-loathing and you know stuff that was there and behind my perfectionism that I didn't think that I was enough. And and coming to understand that I don't have to be perfect. And actually, I'm somebody who, even though I don't go to church, I have been to seminary, but even though I don't go to church, I I love the metaphor. Or I love the message of Christ because the message is to me one of the well. There's, I'm going to talk about one part of the message because mm-hmm. I'm going to get to acceptance, which is the main message. But one of the things I love about the idea of Christ is that He was the one and only human being that was God, right? So the one and only perfect human being. I am not God. I am not perfect. I am human and I'm imperfect. But 
I am loved. Okay, so in acceptance, I learned to love myself. And this is the other message. And this is the message that I was taught by my parents because they were very open-minded that basically all world religions, all spirituality, whether it's a religious or not, that it has to do with love. Mm. So self-acceptance, to come to some self-acceptance of having bipolar disorder and being loved, lovable, loving. It was an act of self-love. So, and it's an ongoing process, mm. right? We don't just immediately have this acceptance of ourselves. Um, you know, it, I don't always accept myself. I have times when I'm not feeling so great about myself. <laughs> um, but that practice of self-acceptance and self-love and self-care is a deeply spiritual practice. Mm. And it enables you to have more true and deep empathy for others. And I'm not saying I didn't care for others until I cared for myself. I don't believe in that linear kind mm. of equation. I think, you know, it's, I don't believe that's true. Um, I was a loving person, but I was a more loving person. A, you know, I had a sort of a, I, I remember people even saying, you know, before I got, got to know you, I didn't really like you <laughs> when I was young because I, I was just, um, I had a wall up and I, and I acted, they, I came off as aloof or, you know, or, um, snotty or whatever, you know, which I am kind of snotty. I mean, I, I, I'm, 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 but, 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 um, but once people got to know me, they go, Oh, okay. She's mm -hmm. real. You know, but, but that, that facade kind of breaks down once you get to this point of self-acceptance. Um, um, so Yeah. Well, one of the things you'd mentioned so, there, um, Kit, was your son, um, ADHD, difficult to manage for any person. Extremely difficult. And that's another a huge message I have out to everyone. Mm. You have to take care of yourself to take care of others. Yeah. Right. I had a son that was very high needs. I actually because it was so hard for me to give up the idea of being a professional and being, um, you know, being quote unquote broken, you know, on disability, mm. that was a very, very hard thing for me to accept. So what I did was I reframed it and I thought of it as, um, whether or not it's true, I, I, I think of it as sort of God breaking me or God, there's, you know, like, bringing me down so that I had to do what needed to be done. Break sort it of, to make it kind of thing. I'm putting that right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like my son needed me at home. He needed me and I had the skills to take care of him. I just didn't have the confidence. Um, and, and in, the, in, even when I was in the hospital, the providers would say, so your theme is being a good enough mother. Hmm. You know, and because I was so worried about being a good enough mother. Did, but did you bring um, that perfectionism into, into the parenting then, Kit? Did you, of having yes. to be the perfect parent and having to do everything right. this way and that has to be that way. But getting to, right. as Winnicott calls it, the good enough mother. The good enough mother, exactly. Mm. So I was, I was more than the good enough mother, it mm. turns out. First of all, our son was very challenging to raise. So other people's ideas 
of how to raise him, not our providers, not our uh, psychiatrist, his child psychiatrists, mm -hmm. you know, they were supportive, but um, like other people would like, oh, you know, not exactly spare the rod, you know, sort of thing, yeah, spoil yeah. the child, yeah. but not literally because we don't use corporal punishment anymore in mm. the United States, but to, you know, that I, we're not being, we're, oh, he's getting away with so much and yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And you're not being strict enough. And well, in, in Ireland now we would, we would have, we would have put that down to a good slap. Now would sort that lad out. Exactly. That's, that's exactly. all he needs. So he's getting, you're letting him away with murder. Good, good slap exactly. and sort him out. <laughs> right. Parenting in the 80s, but that's, as someone called it on the podcast right. before. <laughs> yeah, but that was definitely not what he needed. Mm. So because he wasn't in control of his behavior, mm. he did not want to be behaving the way he was behaving. Um, and I first, for, uh, I first took him to a child psychologist, and then it got to the point where he had me when he was almost five. So when he was four, I took him to a child psychologist. I'm a big believer in early intervention, by mm. the way. So clearly I'm pro psych psychotherapy mm. and psych psychi psychiatry when appropriate. So when, um, when he, uh, what was it looking like at that time, Kit, just, just for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder. What, what does that look like in a, in a young child? Well, for him, it, he would behave in extremely high risk behaviors. So he would do things like we had to always keep an eye on him because he was like a monkey climbing mm. up things. Very, very dangerous, even the, at the a fearlessness. very, very young age. Right. No fear. Mm. Right. And he would, um, what, what happened at this particular day that was a turning point where I went from just psychotherapy for him to psychiatry, uh, medication was he had a broomstick and he was chasing me around the house and hitting me with it. And this was not purposeful behavior. Mm. He did not want to hurt me. You know, this was, he was, he was like in this red zone. Like if you looked at his eyes, they were glazed over. He was like a Tasmanian, think of a Tasmanian <laughs> devil. You know, I don't know if you've, oh, we had he was Taz. exactly yeah, we like had a Taz. Tasmanian yeah. devil. Mm total Tasmania devil. And I locked myself in, in my bedroom, in our master bedroom. And I called his child psychologist and I said, I cannot do this anymore. I said, can I return him? <laughs> Hope he kept the receipt. <laughs> Is there a return policy? Where's the return policy? So, and she said, no kid, you cannot return him. I will get you in to see an excellent psychiatrist, child psychiatrist tomorrow. So we took him to the child psychiatrist. We saw him as a family, you know, my husband, my, myself and my son. Um, he went on medication. Um, we involved him in his treatment and treatment decisions as he got older, mm. right? So he might not be making the decisions when he was five, but he was involved in, you know, we were there, the three of us talking for, we did the 50 minute with a psychiatrist type pay out of pocket you know, not the sort of stuff that's not covered. Mm. Right. But I was just like, okay, he's worth it. I want to make sure my son is, this is addressed and he's, he's getting what he needs. And so, um, and the psychiatrist, the two psychiatrists we saw at first, um, were, um, taught at the university of UC Irvine, university of California at Irvine, which is an excellent school. Mm. And they had an excellent child in, in adolescent psychiatry department. And, um, 
So they were in private practice too. So we saw them in their private practice. So, um, you know, one went on to a different job. So that's anyway, so we saw two different guys, one guy and then his mentor. Um, so he, he ended up by the time he was, he also did, uh, by the time my son was 10, he, um, was able to articulate when he wanted to see a psychiatrist, if he was feeling like his symptoms weren't controlled and he wanted to go in sooner than a scheduled appointment. He was able to say at that point, he also was in individual therapy. He was able, I, I, he, I allowed, you know, we had a discussion as I would ask him, how's it working? Do you feel, you know, how are you, how's this working for you? And, um, and at one point he said, I want to stop doing therapy, not this medication. He wants to continue seeing because he felt that the, th- the medication helped him more than therapy. And I said, fine. Okay. You've been in therapy since you were four. Mm. <laughs> if you want to stop therapy, that's fine. There were times in which the psychiatrist would, re- would require that he be in therapy for a period of time to address something. And so then he had to, you know, but he also was, you know, always a part of the conversation. There were times in his life when he wanted to be in therapy for a period of time to address a particular issue, like a phobia or something like that. And he would go in just for a period of time to learn certain skills to help him with that particular issue. Um, and now... Um, he, as a 22 year old regularly thanks me for how I raised him. And whenever he writes Mm -hmm. a card, like for a mother's day or a birthday or anything, he says, thank you for being there for me during my difficult times. And you don't get very many 22 year old young men thanking their moms. There's, There's a parenting win right there. Wow. Yeah. And he's living independently. I mean, we, we support him mm. financially, mm. but he's living in his own apartment, going to college. You know, he regularly goes mountain biking with my husband, which is great. We live in the mountains, but um, we're up in Oregon now. And But he is, uh, he's awesome. I just <laughs> am so proud of him. He's doing and good. And family members, yeah, and family members just even comment, you know, who've seen him grow up mm. his whole life. Like, wow, he has come a long way. You know he's really, you know, doing really well. Brilliant. So, so I'm incredibly proud of him. He's so awesome because he was very much a part of this. This just wasn't just me mm. and my husband. This was this was very much him being a part of an active part of his own treatment. Brilliant. His own he meant his own recovery. Yeah, I've I've seen clients. My my mom, my own masters in child and adolescent psychotherapy. So I'd work a lot with teenagers and stuff. And I'd see a lot of parents who, and I actually had a case recently where a parent brought their child in and a kid didn't even know he was being brought there, didn't know why he was there, you know, and now all of a sudden he's just dumped in front of a stranger, you know. So to, as you said, to include the child in their care, to to give them all that information so that they can then make an informed decision after that amount of time where it's like, okay, you've you've had enough therapy. you You know at this point if it's working or it's not working. Um, right. you know, so for any parents that are out there, you know, do include your children, give them, give them the age appropriate information around exactly whatever may be and going on in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's why age appropriate is so important yeah. too. Like you were saying, you know, like, especially with, with an adolescent, like I, when I treated adolescents, you've got to be real with them. You have to be honest with them. They, they, 100%. they They'll see through you they in know a bullshit. They, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're ruthless. Yeah. <laughs> 
In fact, I think that's why I got my jobs working with adolescents because a lot of therapists were not willing to work with adolescents. Yeah, I'd get it too. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're challenged. Well, I, I loved them. I mean, mm. I was just, that, that's who, because I'm very open, mm. you know. I'm Well, you're, you're regressively stuck, myself. Kit, let's not forget. <laughs> you're a regressively stuck <laughs> adolescent, apparently. <laughs> I could relate. Yeah. I could relate. <laughs> totally. Uh, totally. If, if, that, if that analyst is out there going, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, if he's hearing all these things, he's like, she keeps on putting me down. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's interesting. I mean, I was raised, I was actually not raised. I was uh, taught mm, psychodynamic mm. theory. But then when I practiced, I did whatever works. Right? Exactly the so same. Psych- yeah. psychodynamic, so psychodynamic theory does help in mm. certain things, right? You definitely have to work through family of origin issues. Mm. But uh, it's not necessarily what's helpful all the time. Exactly. And when somebody yeah. is in a crisis, um, that does not help them get out of a crisis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the same <laughs> as if someone's dealing with, you know, serious childhood trauma and they're going in for a bit of CBT, like, you know, I'd, right. I'd always That's describe not to, cut it. Yeah, to, I, I would see student therapists and stuff like that. I would say, you know, learn all of this stuff. It's like the actor. You learn your lines, but then throw away the script. You know, you, you don't bring right. your you don't bring your script on stage, and you know you can go in there with all of that. And go well, what's what's where am I going with attachment theory and family systems now with this person that's in serious crisis and is about to kill themselves? Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a time and a place for for all of us, I suppose. Right, right. You have to right, and that's where I think a lot of intuition comes in. Yeah, I, I always you say know, this is this is art. Better. It's it's an art form. It's it's more art exactly. than it scientific. Is, that's where the empathy and just observing, you know, and my good, good, my good uh, supervision is so important <laughs> for therapists. Mm. So, and case conferencing and all that good stuff. Mm. I mean, I really kind of, yeah, I mean, I, I do and don't miss it. It definitely has influenced my brain in mm. terms of how I think about everything because I was so immersed in it. Mm. Um, it's trained me how to think um, about, about things. So. What does life look like for you at the moment then, Kit? Well, I right now I'm looking out at uh, a forest of ponderosa pines. Fantastic. Yeah, my husband and I, um, after um, my parents passed away, um, uh, all of our relatives, all of my in-laws are in Oregon, and my sister, of course, married married the brother of my husband. So we're <laughs> two sisters married, two brothers. Mm. So we're she's up here in Oregon too. Um, so. Once the pandemic was over and we were vaccinated, um, we convinced our son to transfer to a campus up near us um, in uh, what's called Bend, Oregon. And we're um, about 40 minutes away in a smaller community um, living, you know, our dream, basically. It's just beautiful. Um, um, And I have the company of my husband and i'm very very active online i wrote a book tell us uh, about it kids you, you got there before me yes. i was just about to segue there you go. fantastic there i love guests here's like my you. book yeah, yeah. you know here's my book my, my favorite guests are when i when i download the audio file and i look at the waveform and all i see is just a there's just a bit where it's just me going hmm or wow and then <laughs> all the rest is the guest i'm like i love it i love it <laughs> Well, you're a good therapist when you know how to listen. (laughs) So, yeah. Tell us about the book and tell us where we can find you online, Kit. You betcha. So you can find me. 
I'll tell you about the book first. Go for it. The book is uh, Balancing Act, Writing Through a Bipolar Life. And it is organized by first a narrative, a brief narrative of my mental health journey. And then it's organized in sections about bipolar disorder. Basically, it's short pieces of nonfiction, um, first person and poetry first person um, that started off as blog posts that I repurposed. And so it's organized by sections of bipolar disorder, um, mental health advocacy, because I'm very active in, in why advocacy means different things. In the United States, it means both legal advocacy and just being out there speaking mm. out, being an activist, mm. you know, in general, just being mm. not necessarily a, a political activist, but and so that's what kind of one I am. I mean, if, if it, it, you know, I've, I've talked and I could, I could do both, but that's mostly what I do right now yeah. is just is speak mm. and, um, and write and just communicate, get out there on social media. And then the third section is caretaker. Like we were talking about, I was basically caretaker of my son. Mm. I raised him. And then also when my parents um, aged, they both had dementia. My father had alcohol related dementia. And my mother was his caretaker until she had a severe stroke, which devastated her brain. So then both of them had dementia. And my sister and I decided to sell their house and put them in memory care because their behavior and brains were just so damaged. There's like, she's, I said, well, we could like move in. My husband and I, my sister's like, no, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be bad. Um, so she's like, we just, just, let's get them the care they need. And, um, and I was the one who court, who was living close to them. So I was the one who visited and, and, um, you know, with my sister's support and her visiting and being on the phone and stuff like that, I was the one who sort of was like, um, on the pavement, so to speak, you know, like the one doing the, making the day-to-day decisions mm. and, um, um, and visiting them and stuff. So that, that was hard. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and so, but you can find me at kitomalley.com. That's K-I-T-T-O-M-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And all of my social media links are on my website. Um, and I'm all over the place, really. And there's a link to my email and you can, um, you know, leave feedback on social media and I'll respond. Great. It's all me. Brilliant. I don't hire, I don't have my, I'm not hiring. Anybody yeah. anybody. It's all we're, we're not getting your team. We're, we're getting kids. It's not my team. Yeah. I don't have a social marketing team. But it's, like, it's like the people that pretend to have a team. Oh, I'll get one of my team to call you. You're not getting one of your team. I know it too. Stop, stop the bullshit. Like I get these people all the time coming on as guests. You don't have a team. <laughs> but we keep it real. We keep it real on the straight talk and mental health podcast. We get you kids and people get us. There you go. Yeah. This is me. And everything out there is me. So I, I, you know, already I'm losing money. <laughs> <laughs> it, all co- it all is costing time and money, but Absolutely. luckily I'm in a position. I'm in a position where I'm married. I have a husband. I, you know, I'm my, you know, I, uh, who supported me, mm. you know, helped me out. And then I, uh, I can't even imagine how people support themselves just on disability. It's yeah. just not enough money. Um, and I, uh, you know, my pa- parents passed away. Actually, after they passed away, it put us in a position to be able to make this this move. So before we leave the words of wisdom with Kit, given the life she's had, she's got some smart words. So be sure to stick around for that. But before all of that, one final plug on the social media. Ashling, 
Oh, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. And that is at STMH Podcast. You can email us at hello at stmhpodcast.com. And the website address is www.stmhpodcast.com. You can also on YouTube search for us at Straight Talk Mental Health. Nailed it. I know. It's fucking nailed it. Yeah, you got them all. No help. No, no looking at my face to go. Oh shit! No, that one was wrong. No, you got them all. Mm-hmm. Well done. Thank you very much. Well done. Mm-hmm. So do check us out. Subscribe on YouTube. That's really going to help us out. The other thing's going to help us out. Give a five star rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it may be called these days, and Spotify. That's mm-hmm. really going to help us out if you could do that. Give a like, give a comment, give a share. That's also going to help us out. Give a retweet, all of that sort of stuff. You know the deal, folks. We're going to be back next week. Will be our check-in episode. Let's see where that's all going to be all about. <laughs> we don't know. Let's see what comes up in the meantime. That'll be our checking episode. And then the following week, so in two weeks' time, we're going to talk about sex. Mm-hmm. Got a sex therapist on. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. That's, again, pre-recorded. So stick around. Sex and relationships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're talking about sex addiction, You've talked masturbation, about sexual fantasies, fantasies uh, like difference that. in sex, sex drives, when one person has a higher sex drive than the other. Uh, great advice. So... Not just myself, but we have a sex therapist on as well. Mm. The two of us are going to, we're kind of given clinical experience as mm. well. So I really think a lot of people are going to get a, get a lot from that oh, in, in two so. weeks time. Yeah. But we're going to be back next week with our check-in episode. So you know what that means. We're going to be back. Same bad time, same bad channel. But in the meantime, folks, look after yourselves. Look after each other. And stay warm. My <laughs> feet are frozen. <laughs> so cold. Let's leave the last word with Kit. Kit, one last thing. For every guest that comes on, we ask them to share some words of wisdom, some life learnings or some motto or some creed or something that they've taken from this life so far that they would um, share with our listeners. Is there anything you'd lead the listeners with? Yes, I think that it's when, and and you've heard this before, and I said it before tonight, it's like, you are enough. Mm. You are loved. You are lovable. You are loving. And, uh, you know, I guess that's it. Those are the main ones for me. <laughs> that's it. That's amazing. And there's hope. There's hope. There's yeah. hope. There's help. And there's hope. There's all real basic things. There's help out there. There is help out there. And if it doesn't work, mm. try again. You know what I mean? Not there, if if you see a therapist and it doesn't connect or it's not helpful to you, maybe that's the wrong therapist. Maybe that's the wrong type of therapy. You know, if you're on it, it take medication is trial and error. Unfortunately, like these, it's still an art too. Unfortunately, mm, we're mm. not yet at a position where we're able to like take a blood test or a scan and know exactly what medication to give. And there's people, you know, for whom they've been through the gauntlet of medications and they end up going to, you know electroshock in the United States. Some people Mm -hmm. are still helped Mm -hmm. by that who are in deep depression and stuff. So you just have to keep on trying until you find what works. Um, and it's, it, that could be frustrating, but it, for most of us, Mm -hmm. you'll find it more easily. (laughs) Those are, you know, and, but just know that it's not an instant fix, but there is hope and it's not, and whatever you're struggling with will not there, it will, it's not permanent. Like when you're in a deep depression, it feels like mm. it's forever and it, it feels like the only way out. There might be only one way out, but I want to tell you it's not forever. It's temporary. There is help and there is hope.
health.